Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of Marriage and Martinez is sponsored by Best Fiends. You have to check out this game. We're all quarantined in our homes with nothing to do. You have to go play this game. Download it now. It's a really fun puzzle game that you can play right on your phone, and it's really cool because you go through all these levels solving challenging puzzles that actually engage your brain. So you're actually using your brain to play this game, but it's really casual and fun, and anyone of any age can play. I'm playing all the time. So is my eight-year-old son, and we're constantly in battle with each other on who's on a higher level. So go now. Go engage your brain with this fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. everybody. Welcome to Marriage and Martinis. I'm Adam and here's Danielle. Hi. And I have no idea what day it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's night. That's all you need to right? know. It's all there. Are no, I said that before. There are no days. There is only day and night. Yeah, and there's no more breakfast, lunch and dinner. <laughs> Eating yeah. as the nope. day goes. Yeah. I. This is so bizarre. I hope you guys are all staying safe. Please stay home if you're able to. Yep. Only run out if it. Yeah, you don't need to hear this from me. Exactly. Right. Uh, so now we're taking on a different role in everything that we're doing because for the first time we're home all the time. You're home all the goddamn time. I have never (laughs) experienced this in my life. So, and it's interesting because during the day, you know, our kids usually have their teachers to listen to, uh, you know, to listen to them and their friends. Um, and you're usually gone and you have adult interaction, other adult interaction. And I usually at least have some a- adult interaction. And it's just so different now that I thought that this topic of listening is so perfect and so timely for right now because our physical presence with people obviously can't be there. But we can still listen to one another. And right now, more than ever, um, I think that so many of us have so much to say and we're worried and we're anxious and we want someone to understand. And I personally I personally know, my sister will tell you, I know you've said it to me, I am not a great listener. I am an interrupter. Um, I am a distant listener. All things I admit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been important to me that it's something that I do want to work on. Yeah, I think we even touched upon that in the interview. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Oh, we totally do. <laughs> uh, and Oscar Tromboli is the 
I would say like the leading expert in listening. Um, he's an author, host of the Apple award-winning podcast, Deep Listening, and a sought-after keynote speaker. He's passionate about using the gift of listening to bring positive change in homes, workplaces, and cultures around the home, around the world, excuse me. And um, especially right now when we're, you know, that's one gift we can give to the people in our lives is to be really good listeners. Um, and right now it's a little harder than usual. I think our patience is low. Our mental state is a little bit foggy. And um, so to be really present might be harder than ever right now. <laughs> yeah. If, if any of you guys who joined us on our Instagram live the other night, whatever day that was, I, I mentioned it on there. And like you, like you just said, so we're getting to the point where of like frustration and because we're not used to this. I'm not used to being, I love my kids. So mm -hmm. I'm gonna say Here we that. go. <laughs> yep. Make sure you say it. <laughs> right? I'm not used to like being 24 seven with my You're children. You're not used to being like yeah. four seven. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I remember the other day, um, one of the kids sneezed. And my first thought was, why don't you just shut the fuck up already? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, I, like that, that was my mind went right there. I didn't uh -huh. say that, but that's, that's the first thought I had in my head. Yeah. And I, I like chuckled to myself like, holy shit. Yeah. Things are a little tense now. It's constant. <laughs> yeah. But I am trying because, um, you know, I, I said also the other day when I was talking to somebody, I said, you know, right now when my kid is misbehaving or something, I'm sort of like, wait, are they just misbehaving or are they sort of manifesting something else that they're feeling that's going on mm -hmm. from all of this? It's just so hard to know. But Oscar is so wonderful. He helps us so much. He gives us t like little tips that we can use with the kids when we're listening to them. Things that you can start implementing right now that will really change the way that we communicate with our kids kids, our friends, um, you know, our partners, our co-workers. Uh, and I loved this conversation. I was in awe of him and his voice is just so damn soothing. That's cool. Yeah. And he's Australian. Right. I that, love it. That accent will yeah. do it every time. Um, so please enjoy. Uh, stay safe. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here with us and staying with us through this all. I know that not everybody has as much time to be uh, downloading podcasts and everything. We're very grateful for your support, and we are here for you in return. And um, so enjoy Oscar. Hi, Oscar. G'day. Hey, Danielle. Hey, Adam. I'm really looking forward to listening to your questions today. <laughs> listening to the questions I and I'm, I'm looking forward to trying to become a better listener me too yeah i'm looking forward to you trying to be oh that's what i meant yeah for um, you to for become me. a better listener <laughs> so a lot, a lot a lot of people get freaked out when they talk to me and they worry about their own listening and get really self-conscious about it so don't yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to. Actually, this might be, I would probably, this might be an episode where I would need a glass of wine to not right. be nervous. Yeah, I know. I'm, feeling, <laughs> I'm feeling the itch here. Like I'm... Well, why don't you get a glass of wine? <laughs> yeah, right? I wanted to ask you, first of all, how listening is such a specific subject area. And how did you start getting involved in deep listening? I think people say to me, I've always been a good listener my life. Like oh, even when I was a child, a teenager, uh, first time in the workplace, but I never realized I was good at it because you don't know what you're good at till someone else kind of points it out to you. So I went to this school 
Daniel, with 23 nationalities. We were very close to the immigration centre in, in Sydney in Australia, where, where I went to school. And my parents, both from Italy, one from the deep north and one from the deep south, kind of Romeo and Juliet story. They would never have got married if they were in Italy, but because they met in Australia, they did. But um, when they got married, no, no one in either side of the family wanted to have anything to do with them. So, so I never learned to speak Italian, though the people at my school all had second languages, people from Vietnam, people from South America, people from Europe, people from Eastern Europe, the other side of the Iron Curtain in those days. And we used to play this Italian card game called Briscola. And the good news for me is I didn't have to know how to speak Italian to do it. But um, they play in their home language. So you played in teams of two against another team of two and you have occasionally you'd be short a player. So I would always be the player that would be the reserve and I couldn't speak the language and the Portuguese speakers or the Greeks or the Poles or the people from Vietnam would always think they're one up on me because I couldn't speak the language and they'd just be speaking Vietnamese to each other. But I could read their body language really well their eyes consistently gave away what cards they had in their hand. And I became a really good player, not because I was good at counting cards, but because I could see where they were putting their fingers on the cards and little simple things like that, where I was listening, not to what they were saying, but watching what they were doing and, and listening to the visual signals. Now, if you wind the clock forward um, to 11 years ago, I was sitting in a, big corporate boardroom with an intergalactic video conference between Seattle, Sydney and Singapore. There were 28 people in this meeting, Danielle, and at the 20 minute mark, my vice president turned to me and said, I need to see you after this meeting. And for the rest of the meeting, the only thing that was going through my head is how much money have I got in the bank because I'm surely going to get fired. And at the end of the meeting, I sat down with Tracy and she said to me, you have no idea what you did at the 20 minute mark. The way you listen completely changed the dynamic in this room. If you could code how you listen, you could change the world. And you know, that was so profound what Tracy said to me. And the only thing that was going through my head was, thank goodness, I'm not fired. <laughs> I don't have to try and figure out how many weeks of salary I got left in the bank account. <laughs> and four weeks later, our finance director said to me, can you come into my team meeting and watch me and debrief me on how I listen? Because obviously Tracy had spoken to Brian and said, you got to learn how to listen from Oscar. And it's like, Brian, I run the biggest product division in Microsoft Australia. It's a billion dollars in revenue. I haven't got time for this listening caper. Um, you know, just sort it out. But Brian, to his credit, was really insistent. And for the first time in my life, I had to figure out how I listened because I was watching somebody else. And then all the jigsaw puzzle pieces started to fit into place. Why was it easier for me to recruit and keep new staff through my corporate career? It was because of my listening. Why was I better at sales and marketing than other people? It was because of listening. Now, I'm not saying it's the only reason, but it was a distinct advantage for me that I was able to listen to other people. 
and wind the clock forward now to today, I'm on a quest to create 100 million deep listeners in the world before I leave the planet. And that in itself, how we get to that number is a, another hilarious story all of its own. But that's, that's how I got here. Um, no, very organic and no kind of uh, pathway that was obvious. It was just a bunch of random things that happened in my life, to be honest. You're no longer at Microsoft, right? You're, you're strictly, you do just. This is all I do all day, every day. I teach people how to listen. Wow. And the platforms that you use are your podcast and. Oh yeah. So we've got a range of ways that people can access that. We've got the podcast, the book, the playing cards, the jigsaw puzzle, the deep listening quiz where you can find out who your listening villain is. Um, we're just in the process of um, prototyping some online training courses as well. So we have a range of ways to access that. But for, for me, uh, the, the journey to 100 million deep listeners started with a conversation with me and a, and a mentor. And I said to Matt, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on this quest to create 100,000 deep listeners in the world. <laughs> and he laughed at me. He said, add a zero, come back next month and tell me how you're going to get there. And I like, I had my hand in my head's going, how am I going to go from a hundred thousand deep listeners to a million? It's like, it's a big number, a million, right? Mm -hmm. And I came back and Matt said, you know, how'd you go? And I said, well, yeah, I can figure it out using some of my technology background and thinking about how I've interacted globally and the network of people I have and the way I think about using technology, yeah, I can see it working. And he says to me, add a zero and come back next month. And I just went, come on, what, are we going to do this every month? And he said, Oscar, listen carefully. If you can achieve your goal in your lifetime, it's not ambitious enough. Mm. And it stayed with me for a long time. So I came back next month and said, Okay, 100 million deep listeners. I have no idea how I'm going to do that, Matt. He said, perfect. That's exactly what you want to do. You want the goal so big that you have to change the way you think about your goal so that you can figure out a way to get to 100 million instead of 100,000. And I was, I was talking to a guy in Atlanta about um, six months ago Kevin challenged me in a conversation not too dissimilar to the one you and I are having. He said, so why not a billion, Oscar? It's only 2% of the Earth's population. I said, Kevin, <laughs> those days are done. That's 100 million, and that's what I'm working on right now. And he said, even McDonald's opened up another outlet, Oscar. You should think about opening up more outlets, and that's the next part of this journey for me is to figure out what does that mean? How do I open up more outlets? You asked me before we started recording about my audience and why I think people will be so interested in deep listening. And we, I'm sure from the work perspective, a lot of our listeners are interested, but also as parents and as spouses, I think that that is one of the big hardships now, especially nowadays with all the distractions is figuring out how to make the people in our lives 
feel like they're being seen and heard and that we're focused. And I'm a, a huge, I, I'm hugely um, guilty of the distractions of I'm on my phone or my sister always says to me when we're talking, are you listening? Like, are you, because I, I get distracted and there's a lot of that. So I just am, I'm wondering, as a, you're a parent, correct? You have, I think I, I'm a grandparent. A grandparent. Wow. You have yeah. four grandchildren. So do I know. Skincare is amazing, isn't it? Don't yeah, you know. look great. <laughs> <laughs> It's Australia. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm just wondering if as a parent, there were certain strategies that you can think about that you had in place with when it came to listening to your kids or listening to your partner. For, for me, when I think about kids and listening, the, everything we're going to talk about today is going to sound so basic and yet to do it takes a lot of practice and a lot of discipline. Uh, it reminds me of a story that Taryn told me about two years ago. She was picking up her, her daughter from childcare and her daughter was at that stage three years old and they had a short walk from the front door of the daycare centre to the car they were going home in. It was not more than 50 steps as Taryn explained it. So that's not a long way. And Taryn asked her daughter, you know, what did you get up to today? What did you do today? What did you enjoy about today? And Taryn said she didn't get any more than 10 steps down the path. And her daughter said to her, mummy, stop bumping my words which was her way of saying, mum, you're interrupting me. Now, a lot of us aren't even conscious that we're bumping our words when it comes to our kids because we don't know some of the basics. So when we talk about kids, I'm going to talk about kids up to the age of five, kids up to the age of 10, and then teenage kids, and some really simple ways that you can listen to them and listen to them in a way that they feel heard and listen to them in a way that they feel respected. Because unfortunately, most of the lessons we get from our parents about listening sound something like, I wish you'd listen to me, or why aren't you listening to me, or variations of that. And for a lot of them, they're not listening to you because your head is well above their ears and their eyes. So tip number one, when it comes to listening to your children, get down to their eye level or lift them up to your eye level. Now, the reason you do this is because your ears will be at their ear level as well. Now, if you have a choice that, i.e. you have really good knees and squatting down isn't a problem for you, try and come down to their level rather than lifting them up on a bench top and bringing them to your level. And I'll explain why shortly. There is a complete power differential between a very tall adult and a very short child. And you are pressing buttons around threat and anxiety when you stand over a child. And even if you're speaking to them in the most gentle tone, there's still a power differential. They have to look up. 
their ears aren't aligned to your mouth. And as a result, they may actually not even hear you, let alone listen to you in the first place. So bring yourself down to their level. Now, if you travel for your work, for example, and you call your kids or FaceTime your kids, you should do exactly the same. So whether it's face-to-face or using technology, always have your eyes at their eye level, your ears at their ear level, and their mouth at their mouth level. That will change your state. That will go, okay, now I'm in their world, the shorter world, the shorter world, the, the world closer to the ground, rather than the taller world. Now, a lot of people say to me, Oscar, that that can't be right. Is that all you need to do with youngsters like that? Yeah, it is actually, because your mind will shift in that moment. Once you change your physical state, the way you engage with your child at that age group completely changes. It's one of the reasons why if you play Lego or play jigsaw puzzles with kids, getting down to their level increases the likelihood there. The second thing you want to do, this is very obvious, but people don't do it enough. Great listeners are built by great storytelling. So that time you spend with your son, your daughter, your child, telling them stories at night or telling them stories in a car or telling them stories when they're camping, that is building great listening muscles for them. The greatest listening cultures in the world are the greatest storytelling cultures in the world. So if you're in the habit of playing a YouTube to put one of your children to bed at night because it's too much to read a book to them, something weird will happen to you. I was told this story by a parent who practiced this YouTube strategy to put their child who was six years old to bed And after three weeks of listening to YouTubes to put the children to bed each night, so they put an iPad in the room, the father said goodnight to the son. It was the third week of, so nearly um, 21 days of YouTube. The father said to the son, and Barry was the father's name, Barry said, goodnight. And his son's response was priceless. He said, good night, and don't forget to like and subscribe. (laughs) Kids have got amazingly malleable brains at that age, and if you program them uh, unconsciously, you're going to get that kind of response. Uh (laughs) You might be in trouble. (laughs) Okay. Now, the other thing is, and when you're telling the stories uh, as opposed to playing a YouTube for them, uh, they can ask you questions. They can place you in that story. They can place themselves in that story. So great listening muscles are built with great stories. And when I tell Ruby my six-year-old stories when she comes over here for grandpa time, um, She's old enough now to be able to follow along the words that are in the book. But I'm quite famous for making up stories along the way. So, you know, I'll add characters in and I'll change the outcome of the story. And in the old days, Ruby didn't really notice any difference because she couldn't read. But now she can. 
But the amazing thing that happens now is Ruby makes up her own versions of the stories and she extends the stories and makes them more interesting. But she couldn't do that if she didn't have this listening muscle built and that's built around telling stories. Whether it's the Inuit of North America or the jungle tribes of South America or the Aborigines of Australia, the Maoris of New Zealand, the Chinese cultures, these great ancient traditions are all built on stories and so are great religions. The great three monolithic religions and the other associated seven religions around that have all built great listening muscles on great story telling muscles as well so as a parent number one get your eyes down to the children's level and number two become great storytellers now once you move into the teenage years things change a little bit and boys and girls um, prefer to listen slightly differently there is no academic study that tells us men and women listen statistically differently. There isn't a huge variation on genders. But we will get to the fact that men tend to listen to fix and women tend to listen to feel. So if you're a man out there, stop trying to fix your wife. They ain't broken. They don't need any fixing. And we'll come to that when we talk about listening for couples. Oh, Adam, I just saw the head turn there. <laughs> that, no, I've had a question about that brewing, and it looks like you're just going to get to it anyway, so please keep going. <laughs> you hang in there. So when it, when it comes to teenagers and listening, with, with, with girls, uh, they tend to appreciate listening where it's face-to-face -face, uh, and it's directly eye-to-eye -eye contact. So if you want to have a conversation with a, a teenage girl, take them out of their current environment, their room, their home, take them somewhere like a coffee shop, take them somewhere like a park uh, and, and make sure your eye contact when you're speaking to them is just eye to eye. Direct contact from a female perspective is very different from a, a male perspective. With teenage boys, if you want to listen and engage in a useful, productive conversation with them, you need to have eye contact actually away, gazing forward. So the best places to do this, driving in a car, riding bikes together, um, maybe doing some gardening chores or maybe at home chopping up vegetables and things like that. When a male anticipates direct eye, eye to eye contact for an extended period of time, there's a part of the brain that produces chemicals that says, I either need to fight this person or run away from this person. It triggers a chemical reaction for an extended period of direct eye contact. So if you can keep a teenage boy busy by walking forward together, but not looking directly at each other, that'll increase the likelihood that they'll pay attention. And the reason you wanna engage uh, a teenage boy with manual tasks is also keeps their hands off their cell phone, their laptop, their iPad, whatever electronic device they might be using at that time. And, and the quality and productivity of the conversation and the kind of things you talk about is very different when you're walking side by side, teenage boy and, and a father or a mother compared to teenage girl where you want that eye contact face to face. In all cases, remove the electronic devices. They are counterproductive to the conversation. 
And if you're talking to somebody on your cell phone, just get in the habit of not necessarily trying to multitask on your cell phone because you are going to be a listening fail as uh, Danielle's learned with her sister saying, are you listening to me? <laughs> so there's some of the things you can think about as it relates to listening to children and how to set up a great environment when it comes to listening. I can see lots of thoughts running through your head, guys. What, <laughs> what, what's going through your mind when you think about listening to your, your kids now? Well, what you just said makes a lot of sense. You know, we have a teenage daughter and uh, Danielle this past weekend just took her up to see her cousin at college. And mm. Danielle, you were saying how different she was and how her communication was so much different and mm -hmm. than she is when she's home and in her safe space, at like, I guess. And mm. right, didn't you say that she was? Yeah, I think it was something about, first of all, taking her away from her two younger brothers. And she was she had to sort of rise to the maturity level of these college kids a little bit. Mm. And it took her out of her element. Because sometimes when she's home, I'm always saying to her, you know, you're, 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 you're 14 and you're acting so much younger and, you know, I guess she's getting down to her brother's levels. But something about taking her out of the environment and first of all, the long car ride was great because mm. she was bored enough that she had to talk to us. <laughs> and also once we got there, yeah, I noticed a huge difference. Um, and then the second we got back home, right, right back into it, it was the same kind of yeah. thing. But one of my biggest, what, did you have something else? No, no, I was just going to further by saying she, when she's out there and active and engaged, her phone's, she's probably on her phone a quarter of the time that she usually is. Yeah. yeah. You know, so she's out of that safe element that she's used to. Right. I was going to ask, I, I think as a married person or, you know, as a partner and also as a parent, one of the hardest things is when you talk about listening and communicating um, is when you're enraged and you start to get into a, you know, a system of you're so angry that you can't even listen because all you want to do is get your point out. Mm -hmm. And that happens to me a lot. Um, oh, you stole my question. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. This is exactly the question I had. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. what, what kind of, you know, strategies are there for you, you, you know, you walk into a room, you're so angry at your kid or your spouse and you just want to explode. So how do you keep from, from doing that and, <laughs> and being able to listen to what the other person has to say rather than just thinking well, I'm right. I need to talk. But on the other side of that, I guess more towards what I was thinking was if let's say we're arguing, you and I are, are the spouses or partners, whoever, whomever it may be, yeah. are arguing and the other person is enraged and just seems irrational to, let's say, me. How I, I can't listen. I can't listen to what she's saying. I, it's not processing. I'm just so infuriated by the attack, by the way it's happening. Is there a way to... Uh, He's not a therapist. I was right? just going to say, he must feel like he's now a couple's counselor, right. the poor guy. I know. You're just talking about how to, how to make people listen better. That's all. Right. Nope. Is, is there, is there a, a process for this? Is there a way to actually engage within this conversation and listen to what they're actually saying without wanting to kill? I didn't I want to be nice. I don't know. <laughs> 
Look, I, look, I, I completely cannot relate. I, that's never happened to me once yeah. in my life. <laughs> all the time, all the time. Can we, can we just do a little commercial break? We're going to come back to this very important question, but I want to go back to the role of environment as it comes to habit setting where we just finished off with your 14-year-old teenage daughter. And I there's a book that I would strongly recommend to everybody. Uh, it's called Atomic Habits by James Clear. It's a New York Times bestseller. And the difference with James's book is been a New York Times bestseller for 15 months in a row. So it means he sold about 1.5 million copies of this book. It's, it's just a brilliant book if you're trying to change any kind of habits. And of course, I interviewed him on the habit of listening and he was completely fascinated that someone would even think that, you know, how do you improve listening? And one of the things James said is in researching his book, he's like the Yoda of habits. He's like the ninja of habits. And he just, it just oozes out of him. He said the one bit that he realized that he had to stop and rewrite the book was the role of environment in habit formation, which you beautifully brought to life in that example with your daughter. And he said, so much of habit formation is created by the environment that you habitually operate in. And if you can change the environment, you can change the way people respond. So he gave a, an example, you know, how do you know if someone's doing CrossFit? He goes, don't worry, they will tell you because the environment <laughs> they're in, they're all telling you about CrossFit or how do you know somebody's training for a marathon or a triathlon? You don't have to, they'll tell you. <laughs> or how do you know somebody's um, a, a vegan or a vegetarian? Don't worry, they'll tell you. But what happens is that they're typically in environments where that is the normal behaviour. So with, with your teenage daughter in that example is think about the construct of environments and what they do to the conversation. Because as you said, uh, a long car trip, change the environment, you know, reduce the cell phone usage dramatically. Maybe that's because you didn't have cell coverage or whatever it, it is, it doesn't matter. But the, the point I wanna make is the right discussion at the wrong time or in the wrong location is still the wrong discussion because it's set up to fail, which takes us to our conversation about being enraged, enraged. So let's come to that situation. I wanna tell you a story about Mick. And Mick was a client of mine I was working with in a work environment and I always put a a very strong warning is all the research I've done is 1,410 people in the work environment. So we track them monthly about how they're listening. But the two most common questions I get asked when I speak on this topic is how do I get my wife or husband to listen to me? And how do I get my children to listen to me? Now, Mick called me on a Monday morning at 8.15, sorry, 8.16, yeah, 8.16, because I can remember the clock in the car, I can picture it right now. And he rang me up and he said, last Friday, you nearly cost me my marriage. And I thought, hang on, I wasn't there. I don't know who your wife is. I said, tell me more. He said, it was 
just after dinner, my wife had put the kids to bed. I'd finished washing up the dishes and clearing the dinner table. And she came down the stairs and she said something to me that every man fears. She said, Mick, we need to talk. Uh-oh. <laughs> I don't like those words. So he gestured to her to sit down at the dinner table. And one of the things that, you know, we'd talked about in, in great listening technique is thinking about where your body orientation is relative to your wife in that setting. So he remembered that. And she said to him, Mick, I don't want to dance around it. I just want you to tell me who it is. I know you're having an affair. I can handle the truth. Just tell me who it is. And in that moment, Mick's head exploded. In Mick's head, it's like, I've done nothing wrong. Why the hell doesn't she trust me? This isn't fair. I've done everything right. 12 years of marriage. I've raised a family. And then he remembered what we've done in the training. Take three deep breaths in through your nose, out through your mouth, and they don't take very long. And he simply said, tell me more. And she says, I know for the last 90 days you've been seeing somebody else because the way you've been paying me attention has completely changed. And I know you're trying to cover something up. (laughs) Just tell me the truth. I can handle the truth. Tell me her name and we can move on and sort this out. Now, Mick is a bit of a joker. This bit I don't recommend to anybody. So Mick put his hand on his wife's hand and said, it's not what you think it is. It's a man. (laughs) And with that, she burst into tears and he said, no, 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 no. It's probably not what you're thinking. Someone who's a man has been teaching me how to listen in the last 90 days. And he warned me that it would leak over into home life and have unintended consequences. And she said to him, now that she realized somebody had been teaching him how to listen and pay attention. And he, he, he was guilty. You know, he would drive in to his home on a conference call, walk into the house still on the conference call, say hi to the kids and all of that, and then kind of finish up the call and still be at work when he got in the front door. So we stopped him doing that. He, he had to park the car two blocks away and complete the call and then come into his home. And what she said to him in that moment will stay with me for the rest of my life. She said, I've never felt sexier in the 12 years of our marriage than I have in the last 90 days. The way you have paid me attention completely changed how I feel about myself. So I knew something had to be wrong and you were having an affair. Now, what he said next was even funnier, but I can't say it on the podcast because it's very X-rated. But he oh, basically you certainly, said, certainly oh, can. Anything goes on our podcast. Don't worry about that. He basically had the best night he's ever had yeah. since his honeymoon <laughs> is the way he explained it. Right. But much more, much more graphical details than that. And I, and I think for a lot of us as couples, that story brings together so much that's right and wrong about listening, that's right and wrong about the way 
we get enraged and the way we react in those situations rather than pause and respond because neurologically what's happening in your brain there's a bunch of chemicals that are getting released that's saying i'm super angry right now it's coming from the most primitive part of the brain it's called the amygdala it sits at the bottom of the meeting of the spine with the skull and that's the most primitive part of the brain that's the one that can help you survive if somebody's trapped under a car you get this awesome amount of strength and your fear kicks in and you want them to live and you lift that up and the opposite is true too listening happens in the most modern part of the brain it's right at the front of your skull it's called the prefrontal cortex now language is a modern development when you think of history of people on the planet earth and we're not as skilled at fight and f sorry we're not as skilled at language as we are at fight and flight so when we get enraged that's very natural we are chemically neurologically programmed to be enraged and what we try and do in that moment is access the most modern sophisticated part of our brain and it's not available to us because you are literally your brain is being hijacked by the most primitive part of the brain. So sometimes the most important thing you can do when either you're enraged or they're enraged is just shut up or say explicitly, I'm enraged right now. That will completely change the context of the conversation. Now, the thing that Mick did well in that moment, zoom back into that dinner table at the bottom of the stairs, the dinner table's cleared. And in that moment where Mick had a choice, he could have continued to be enraged, but he said these magical words, tell me more. There's three phrases if you want to use in those really enraged situations that will change the dynamic for the conversation really quickly. Tell me more, what else, or just shut up and just use silence to do the heavy lifting because silence can both extinguish or enrage depending on how it's used in the conversation. Most of us don't know the maths of listening. So the maths of listening is really simple. I speak at 125 words a minute and I think at 900 words a minute. So the likelihood, the very first thing that comes out of my mouth when I'm enraged is what I actually am thinking. There's a one in nine chance. When I'm enraged, there's an 11% chance that we actually having the conversation we need to have. I have so much thinking stuck in my head that I'm trying to get it out. I'm just enraged that I can't express this feeling fast enough. Your brain's like a washing machine. It's washing the clothes and it's on wash cycle and it's sudsy and it's agitated. And the act of speaking is the rinse cycle where you get something out. But even a washing machine has two rinse cycles. So for all the men listening out there who don't wash clothes, even a washing machine has two rinse cycles. Just take it from uh, me as <laughs> minimum two rinse cycles. But we don't listen for two rinse cycles when it comes <coughs> 
to enrage conversations. We need that other person to get more out. We need them to express more. A lot of the time when you're enraged, that is coming from your sensing body. It's coming from your gut and it's coming from your heart. And it's very difficult to translate fear, frustration, anxiety, whatever that feeling is into words. And that's why it's first time it comes out of someone's mouth, it's just going to sound like you're talking in tongues a lot of the time. It's just like, I'm really, really, really. And that's literally all I can say in that moment. Silence sometimes can be the best fire extinguisher, but equally administered wrong, silence can feel like a weapon and it feels like you're withdrawing from the conversation. <laughs> so let me give you some really practical tips because your body is one of the most critical instruments in that enraged state. If you know... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're going to be enraged make sure you have a glass of water to drink or some kind of water to drink there because the brain is 5% of body mass, yet it consumes 26% of the blood sugars. And if you can get that brain functioning better with more blood sugar, then the likelihood you can say what you mean is higher. Most of us walk through the day dehydrated. So have water, uh, not to throw at the other person, although I've known that to happen as well. And if you can't have a glass of water and you're the uh, recipient of the enragement, take three deep breaths before you respond because you'll be shocked what happens. Nine times out of ten, when you take those three deep breaths, and I'm not like yoga, <laughs> not three deep breaths like that, it's just in through your nose down to the bottom of your lungs and then out through your mouth. I just did it once there. It'll get, it'll take between eight and 10 seconds to do. For the enraged person, it will give them some opportunity. It'll give them an opportunity to say more, which is probably what they want to do. And for the person who's the recipient of that, they can just control how they choose to respond. Because a lot of time in the enraged state, you're in the wrong place or it's the wrong time to have that conversation. And maybe you need to choose a different location or maybe you need to choose a different time. But sometimes that's the right time, the right place. If you're the recipient of enragement, just take three deep breaths. Use silence and you'll be shocked because they need, the enraged person needs to get everything out of their head, their heart and their gut. And most times, the recipient of the enraged will go into blame, justification, and a whole bunch of reactions instead of responses because that part of their brain is firing up. You attack me, I'm going to attack you back. 
Take three deep breaths. Sounds really simple. Sounds too simple, but try it out and you'll see. If you're preparing to be enraged, do the same. Take three deep breaths. I liked what you said about uh, how silence can also seem like a weapon because mm. we have the dynamic of, they call it stonewalling or Gottman calls it stonewalling where one of you yeah. just you know, blocks the other one out when you're, and that's what happens with our dynamic is Adam gets really silent, but it's a different kind of silence than what you're speaking of. He gets just, how do, how would you explain it as someone who actually experiences it? <laughs> I don't know if I can explain it, but I guess that's possibly what led me to my question of if you're enraged and if you're like screaming and in my opinion not making sense or being realistic or rational I, I what can I say and I don't even want to hear it so I, I back off and maybe maybe it's to cool down to to think about what you were trying to say but if I if I respond it's going to be more nonsense battling what I think nonsense. is nonsense coming from you <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying what your what was in your mind was nonsense, but what's ah. spewing out of your mouth is complete and utter nonsense. Yeah, and, and <laughs> one of the things that is kind of again, if Yoda stepped into this scene and we were in Star Wars, Yoda, Yoda would say that the most important thing you need to listen to is what's not said. Okay, how do you how do you do that? Because <laughs> right. I know you say in your book you say um, that you know the, that that's oftentimes the 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 largest missing piece to the puzzle is what is unsaid. But yet, if he were to sit there and say to me, um, you know, uh, okay, well, I'm hearing more about what you're not saying, or I'm thinking more about what you're not saying. My first reaction would be, can we just concentrate on what I am saying? Mm. <laughs> and I would probably get frustrated about that. Um, so I know that you say often that the unspoken is sort of the big missing link and you need to sort of try to get to the bottom of that. Mm. But that's a tricky situation. Yeah, yeah, I love I love these ones. Um, it's uh, and we'll 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 play here as well because the other thing great listeners do that distracted listeners don't do. Again, this is going to sound like Yoda just walked in. The job of the listener is not to make sense of what the speaker is saying. The job of the listener is to help the speaker make sense of what they're saying. Mm. So. In that moment, if Adam can guide you to make sense of what you're saying, put it into some kind of structure that makes sense to you, that's half the battle. For, for Adam in that silent moment, Daniel, the, one of the critical things he shouldn't be saying is, so tell me what you haven't said so far because he will get a slap in the face. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it kind of sends a signal like, so you not only haven't listened to what I've said, uh, you're interested in something else altogether. Now, when I've interviewed suicide counsellors, FBI hostage negotiators, deaf interpreters, foreign language interpreters, people who are just high court judges, professional listeners, one of the big mistakes we make in that moment of enragement is we jump to this question. Why do you feel that way? And we ask a whole bunch of why-based questions. 
And what we want to do is just explore how and what. So it, it might be, how, how long have I been doing this? Adam might say to you. And that's going to stop you in that moment because you've got this whole enragement coming out and, and he simply says, well, how long have I been doing this? Now, you might get enraged again and go, of course you don't know how long you've been doing it. You're so unaware. But in most cases, it will be interesting because it'll circuit break you and you'll, you'll have to pause and access the part of your memory that's not completely enraged, which is your memory, and you will have to go back to the first time it happened. So for Adam is asking how questions and, and using silent appropriately. Now, silence doesn't mean this. Silence could simply be Adam going, I've heard what you've said. I'm just trying to collect my thoughts about how I'm going to respond. Now, I bet he does the silent bit, but he doesn't do the preempt bit or the explicit explanation of what the silence means in that moment. So That's I'm curious, cool. Adam, do you do that? <laughs> Honestly, I don't even know what I'm thinking at the time. I just, I, I don't know if I go into, you know, flight mode instead of fight mode and just back off and mm. I'm not even, like, I don't even want to get into it. I, yeah. I, 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 I don't You're know. You selfish how, man. You selfish man. Don't yeah, you know I, how I feel? I, I don't know if I can, if, if I can make her, if I can make Danielle realize why I think maybe I'm right or maybe why she's wrong or me, but the way she's coming across to me, I just, I, I kind of throw up my hands and I say, oh, I'm not going to bother. I don't think I can get through. And yeah. That, but that, you're trying to fix it. You're trying to find a solution. Stop yes, it. Yeah. I know stop that's it. just the way, my, you know, I guess like no, no, it's got to stop thinking that way. That's just no, it's, even thinking is your problem. Just oh. stop it. Your, your, your <laughs> job is to be present and just listen. Your job is not to fix. This is what I've mentioned earlier. Men right. listen to fix and women listen to feel. So it's true. I'm sorry to cut you. Any situation, that's exactly true. My mind first, the first thing it goes to is, okay, how do we fix this? How do we make yeah. it better? How do we make this? And maybe that's what's. How's that going for you, buddy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, after 20 years of trying, I don't know if I should uh, give it another yeah, 20 and, or. Well, so what should the body language be to show that he's not stonewalling, but that he's actually listening? What's the difference there in, does it have to do with, you know, being on the same level? Like you talk, spoke about before. Hmm. With yeah, those, those same dynamics play out with adults as children. So eyes to eyes, ears to ears, facing each other in that moment. Um, if, if you're, um, Try, try and avoid any barriers like tables or anything in between. The, the, that conversation should be a sit-down conversation, but they're not. They're stand-up conversations with lots of arm-waving, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know this because I do it myself, right? <laughs> right? Don't think I'm any better at this than, than you guys. I just notice I'm having my buttons pushed faster than Adam does right now. You know, the withdrawal technique um, doesn't actually fix the problem, does it, Adam? Here's no, a dirty little secret. Nope. Does it amplify it? Does it give it more gravity? Does it make it bigger than what it actually is? 
Yeah, because I don't shut up about it because I think he's not listening. So I better just keep going until he is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a how's that going for you, Danielle? All night, so be it. That's great logic. <laughs> how's that going for you, Danielle? <laughs> We're doing awesome. <laughs> awesome. So, so, so did, did, the, the opportunity you have in that moment is like, is it the right time for the conversation? Is it the right place? Two really basic questions we never ask ourselves. And I get it, in that enraged state, you don't care. You just want it off your chest, right? But in that moment, for Adam just to withdraw and stonewall you and fold his arms or whatever body language interpretation you're reading into that, Daniel, you know, he he's... If he's going to process it with silence, you know, he needs to be explicit about that. I've, I've heard what you've said and, and you better have heard what she said and be genuine about it. I'm just trying to process it or whatever language you want to use in that moment to be explicit that you've got to go and try and make sense of this right now. And I think that creates the circuit breaker for the dialogue where Danielle goes, well, at least he's acknowledged right? That, that's a step forward than stonewalling, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Does it somehow help to, does it sometimes help to repeat back what you think you've heard? Or is that just bad because it's probably going to come out completely wrong? Yeah, there's this thing in the active listening movement called paraphrasing. Um, so what I've heard you say is you're really enraged. That, <laughs> that's, that would be the technique if you were following that. So if you were a recipient of, so Danielle, you sound really enraged about this topic right now. What would be your response? Oh, I'd be pissed off. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So the job of the listener is not to make sense of it for themselves. That's what paraphrasing is. That's coding the listener's memory with a verbal cue to go, I want to put this in a part of the memory that makes sense to me, as opposed to, hey, when was the first time I did this? Or, hey, I know this is something that's a bad habit for me. Can we work on it together? Can we go and sit down at the table and have a conversation over a, a cup of coffee, a glass of wine, a glass of water, whatever it is? If you, if you move the physical location when they're triggered into enragement, just like your daughter earlier on, um, you'll get a different response as opposed to I sense there's this big crash of a wave on the shore and then the water goes back out and then there's another crash as it gains momentum. And the absence of the conversation gives it more power than it's really got. Because a lot of the time we just went, okay, this sounds like it's important to you. I want to go and sit down and understand what I can do differently. Yeah. Oh yeah. I would like that very much. <laughs> That sounds fantastic. <laughs> so what, what do you think you need to change as the speaker, though? Because a good listener can influence a speaker. So in that enraged moment, if you keep coming back over and over and over again with a bad copy of a broken record, uh, the likelihood for that to be received well is pretty much near zero. Yeah, so we have... A funny story from a long time ago. Well, I don't, I don't even know if we were married yet. We might have just been engaged. And I remember sitting at a, we were at a restaurant, Adam and I. And do you know what story I'm about to tell? Not yet. So, and I was telling, I was talking to him, uh, you know, about something that I was upset about. Or, and I, yes. I looked at him. I know where you're going. I looked at him and I finally said, You aren't listening to me. Why aren't you listening to me? 
And he goes, just say something new. <laughs> because I guess I had been harping for so long about the same things because over and over I had, it had seemed like he wasn't listening because he just sits there and is quiet hmm. and he was just bored. <laughs> <laughs> so that was always like the, just say something new. And I guess that I, I, I think that after the first time, if he doesn't answer, I feel like I think he hasn't heard me, so I need to say it again. I guess I need to assume that he has heard me. Mm. Yeah, and, and, in, and, in, and in that moment, rather than kind of letting the story go through every time, is again, Adam just needs to be a little bit more explicit and go, right now you've said this story a number of times. It sounds really frustrating. <laughs> and and in that moment you can get acknowledged and wherever the conversation goes from there but see i'm not trying to fix it i'm just trying to acknowledge how you feel that's why i say women listen to feel and men listen to fix if we can flip it because when you're talking to adam you need to give him some choices too you can't just flip out and go blah 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 and i've said this again it's like we can do this or we can do this or we can do this but i think as the speaker has as much responsibility as the listener in that moment to gather themselves and go well, well what what would you like from this conversation because men need to progress that's why men listen to fix so they need to see progress whereas women need to note that give them a few choices to bring them closer to the conversation than you now, these are all great in theory. And in that moment where you're just so freaking angry because Adam's left the socks again on the bathroom floor yeah. next to his underwear. <laughs> and it's not the first, second or third time. And in that moment, Danielle, you've got a choice. You can keep going and it ain't going to change. Or you can just leave it there, or you can pick it up and move on. Uh, they're probably your three choices, but the becomes uh, the stories end up becoming what you make of that meaning. There was another story told to me by Ken Cloak, and Ken was telling me this story on a creaky old rocking chair in uh, the top of Idaho. I've never been there, but I was interviewing him, and I just could hear this background sound and i said ken where are you and he said oh you know i'm in, in i'm in my uh, cabin out the back of the woods and i was like wow you got awesome internet coverage wherever you are it doesn't sound like the back of the woods to me and and ken's a mediator he deals with couples in situations like this and this couple had come to ken and their whole story was about dirty dishes in the sink and the dishwasher their whole marriage had unraveled and the only story they could tell is a story about dirty dishes in the dishwasher and can being very skillful started to help them understand what is this story meaning rather than what it literally is and the story basically ends up with the wife saying to the husband when i tell you over and over and over again to rinse your dishes and put them in the dishwashing machine it means you don't respect me 
And when you don't respect me, it means you don't love me. And when you don't love me, it means this marriage is a sham and I'm embarrassed to be in a marriage that's a sham. But for three years, they were arguing over dirty dishes. And all of us have dirty dish stories that we make mean more than if we just took the time to take three deep breaths, step over to the dinner table, sit down and ask each other what we actually want from the conversation. But it suits our really powerful ego because in that moment where we're enraged, we're right. And it feels so good to be right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And in being right, we make them wrong. And they're no more right or wrong than you are. But in that moment where we give over to our most ancient, primitive, emotionally charged, chemically filled self, we're never going to have a productive conversation. We need a circuit breaker to move us to a different location, have a drink of something. If it's red wine or bourbon whiskey, whatever does it for you, that's okay too. But I'd recommend water. So I hope that helps. That helps a lot. Can you talk a little bit about the environment and how when you want someone to listen to you, for instance, if a friend calls you or your child says to you or your spouse says to you, I need to talk and it might be something that's going on in their life. It might not necessarily be about, you know, your relationship with them. Mm. When you say a a safe listening environment, a good listening environment, Mm. What does that mean? If a friend calls you and says, I need to talk, where do you say, well, meet me here because this is a good listening environment? Mm. Yeah, there's a, there's a step before that. And this is taught to me by a number of the suicide, uh, telephone-based suicide counselors. The first question in that moment is, are you okay? Are you safe? Mm-hmm. Because you just don't know what's happening there. I need to talk because there's a guy with an ax chasing me down the street probably hang up a tell me where you are and I'll dial triple uh, 911 you know so there's a step before that make sure they're safe both mentally and physically in that moment um, I, I need to talk is now the best time for us to have the conversation it's the next question you need to ask so you need to ask about when's the right time and, and let them, make that choice and then if they go well yeah it can wait where would be the best place for us to have this conversation now let them choose again so put the put the put the choice back with them danielle don't be necessarily directive to them so when you play with that you start to get them to have some responsibility for the consequences of what they decide in that conversation Equally, if then in that emotional, chemically charged state, you might have to because you've been through this podcast interview and you know that you need to change the environment for that person, you might simply say, hey, you know, we're meeting up again next Tuesday for coffee. Is that the best time to have the conversation at at, uh, Starbucks or not? Or, hey, um, it's Thursday and uh, on Saturday I'm walking the dogs. Uh, should we have the conversation then? So give, give them some choices, but let them choose in that moment rather than you being directive because asking them to choose will change their state. Mm-hmm. 
And as parents, when we're trying to create surroundings for our kids, I say to my children all the time, as I'm sure most parents do, you can tell me anything and I will listen or doesn't matter what it is. I want you to come to me and talk to me. Hmm. What, what kind of things can we do to really create those surroundings in our house that, that say to our kids, my mom is, you know, it's, I'm safe and they're going to listen to me and, and mm -hmm. I, I can talk to them. Yeah, it's back to great listeners, a great storyteller. So, Danielle, tell us about a time where you messed up as a teenager. Oh, God. <laughs> One <What>? time. <laughs> <laughs> tell about a time when I messed up as a teenager. Oh, boy. Um, I can't think of just one, but um, I could talk about uh, the time when uh, we were just talking to my dad about it on the podcast, mm -hmm. how, I, how, how I lied to my parents uh, and told them that I was sleeping at a friend's house and I slept at a boy's house, even though I don't have to lie. To, I didn't have to lie to my parents about where I was sleeping. Uh, and my dad just called me and the first words out of his mouth were, I am appalled and astounded that you would lie to me. <laughs> and I mm. thought, yeah, that's no good. <laughs> I don't know what those words mean, but they're big and scary. <laughs> so do your kids know that story? Probably. They probably know. They know a lot of stories about when I messed up. I think Adam's told them most of them. Yeah, right. No, I don't even know if they know that one. <laughs> they might not, but they know plenty of them. <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, children listen to what we do, not what we say. So when you say, you can tell me anything, their perspective, their framework, their edge of the jigsaw puzzle for their life is defined by the stories of what you two make as normal. So if you're telling lots of stories about messing up in the teenage years, you make it safe for them. Oh, okay, well, then I can tell a story similar to that. Yeah. Mm. But uh, a lot of parents don't. They, they try and pretend that they were perfect growing up they never had any issues. And then when they say to their kids, you can tell me anything, um, they have no idea what that actually means. Mm. And, and, and yeah. you, can, you, you can help them. It's like, hey, you know, thinking back to when I was at your age, you know, some of the things I struggled with was blah, blah, and blah, blah. Um, and then tell a story about that. That gives them an entry point and a permission slip to come into the conversation and go, yeah, the boys are really mean at school right now where I'm, you know, it's, it's just hard, mum. I, the, the boys are acting crazy compared to two years ago and uh, it's, it just all feels different. But if you give them an entry point rather than this big statement, you can tell me anything, make it contextual for them and, and bring yourself into their story rather than the other way around. So you're saying that us having a podcast where literally every episode we talk about how we messed up is probably a good thing. Really for good for our, our kids. kids. Yeah. See? <laughs> uh, no, no, definitely not. I would say that um, it's really hard to talk back to a podcast, and, um, whether whether your kids listen to it or not. No, no they do no, not. No, no. Yeah, it's dandy but they might play it at your funeral, you know, whatever they <laughs> decide to do with a podcast. Hi. But I think, I think as parents, when we ask these big universal questions, um, it, it's too hard for 
a child to make sense of that or a teenager to make sense of that. Level three in the listening model is making sure you're listening for context. And one of the big areas of context most people don't provide is the backstory to that question. You know, the story about your dad being appalled with you. And did he say ashamed as well? There was another A word in there. Astounded. Astounded and appalled. Yeah. He's smart. Yeah. But did he say I'm astounded and appalled that you lied to me because I I, I want to make sure you're safe as my daughter? Or was he astounded and, and appalled at you because um, he, he was lied to and he felt cheated, you know? Yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah. But I think he would have had a different response from you if he said, hey, you know, Teenage years are, are really complicated and I just always want to make sure that you're safe and I, I've got your back and as a dad, that's one of my primary responsibilities to make sure you're safe. And when you lie to me, I can't keep you safe as opposed to when you lie to me, I'm ashamed to tell my buddies at poker about you. That's a different orientation. So not, not enough of us tell backstories. That, that makes sense. You know, have you ever been to a Thanksgiving dinner where you've got an auntie or an uncle always telling the same story over and over and over again about why they vote Republican or why they vote Democrat or why they go to this church? Mm. You know, one of the ways to circuit break that story is what, when was the first time you decided to be Republican, Democrat, Christian, Muslim, whatever it is? That will change their talk track really quickly because they have to explain their backstory. But most of us just let the conversation wash over us and go, oh, well, you know, hopefully they'll have three more white wines and fall asleep at the Thanksgiving dinner table where it's going to happen again next year. But it's going to help both of you to explore when was the first time they formed that opinion. So with your kids and the always kind of situations just create a story about you that helps them make sense of what they're doing and maybe what they want to tell you that becomes the permission slip for them to tell you the very very hard truth for them at the moment because it's hard being a kid it's hard being a teenager just as hard as it is to be an adult oh yeah for sure I also wanted to ask you for the last, I guess, to, to sort of wrap up uh, on your podcast, and I've listened to a bunch of episodes, and I really do enjoy it. Um, you, a lot Thank of you. times, yeah, for real, it's, it's very interesting. I was actually listening to this morning when I was hiking with my dogs. Um, and you talk a lot about, or a lot of your episodes are about what you can learn from certain professions or uh, mm. people who are in certain circumstances, and some things that, that you can take away some some tips and strategies for listening that we can take away from all these i was wondering if you could just give us a few of those quickly i know you know you go into them in such detail in some of uh your your episodes but i find it to be so interesting that in all these different professions there's there's something that we can learn um in circumstances that people are in something we can learn and take away to become better listeners well there was an example that i heard on your podcast as well that i kind of resonated with that you were, I think you were speaking about the Lego company and they put out a movie that didn't do so, do so well. Yeah. And then they listened back to their audience and why and took lessons back. You know, I do that every day. You know, I, I run a retail business. Mm. Right? So in, in my business, 
I'm hearing it every day back and forth with my customers or whomever it may be. Mm. This is something you should do. This is something you shouldn't do. And I, you know, I have to think about those things and make changes, you know, constantly from listening to what they have to say. So that was a great example that I heard you talking about that Lego movie. Yeah, and I want to make sure everybody understands listening is the willingness to have your mind changed. Will Listening is about taking action. So it's not enough to hear something. It's really important to do it. And when you actually take action and when you have the willingness to have your mind changed. Now, I'm not saying that if you listen, you have to change your mind all the time. It's just the willingness and openness to have your mind changed. What I'm going to say next will kind of confuse you all but there's a time to stop listening as well too much listening is just as useless as not enough listening as well so sometimes we listen to the wrong customers adam Mm -hmm. all customer feedback is valid not all customer feedback is useful and great companies reimagine the kinds of customers they want to work with as well so let's go and think about how what and why based questions if you think about fbi hostage negotiators suicide counselors and high court judges they're all listening for the differences between why based questions how based questions and what based questions and a really productive listening environment you're asking more questions that sound like this hmm, how did you come to form that opinion as opposed to why do you think that way so for a lot of us we spend way too much time asking why 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 and the first time we ever heard why was when you spilt the milk, was when you broke a glass and your parents said, why did you do that? And the minute you ask somebody a why-based question, you're going to trigger them straight back into their five, six-year-old self and they're going to be less than and more emotional than you need to be as opposed to telling, asking them a question, how did you come to form that opinion? That's going to be a very different kind of conversation. A great listener is like a book editor. They can take your story and help you edit it to be much sharper than what you think it is. Whether it's deaf interpreters or foreign language interpreters or great opera singers or uh, world champion snipers, they will all tell you that breathing creates a high performance environment when it comes to listening. So when you think about just taking three deep breaths before a really tense conversation or any conversation for that matter, the more oxygen you get to the brain, the more productive you'll be. We all listen through filters. We have predefined assumptions in every conversation you hear. So I'm going to ask you, Adam, I'm going to put you on the spot. Describe the world champion sniper for 2012, which was the person I interviewed. Give me a picture of who I interviewed. Whoa. I'm supposed to picture a uh, world champion sniper? Yep. What do they look like? How tall are they? Okay. How heavy are they? I, I picture them being uh, slim, muscular build, six feet tall. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much further should I get into this? Um, Why are you looking at me? I don't know. Maybe you can help me. <laughs> uh, I picture it. Uh, I pictured a man. Is that sexy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that's all I got. Should yeah, I? cool. Yeah. 2012. 
12 world champion which nationality are they by the way i guess i have to i would have assumed uh american right away just because that's where i am but let's go australian how's that <laughs> yeah, that's cool that's cool and uh the 2012 world champion sniper is a swedish woman of six foot four wow yet most people jump to the exact same conclusion you jump to because we have a whole bunch of filters in front of us when we listen and we're not even conscious of it oh my daughter-in-law her name's jen and she's big into judo and at the age of 21 she was hit by a car and um, smashed her ankle she was riding her bike and she wasn't too far from an emergency hospital now judo players have a really unique relationship with pain and jen had just got her brand new bike and worse than the ankle being broken she was fuming because she spent all this money to get this bike and the bike was completely mangled jen put the bike on her shoulder and walked 1.2 miles to the hospital where she was treated in the er by an emergency doctor what's the doctor you've got in mind there danielle <laughs> a bone shatter doctor <laughs> yeah describe them what do they look like uh i would say a man again mm -hmm. coat <laughs> mm -hmm. um and uh i would say more serious mm. um in his 50s yeah am i right so yeah so jen saw a 28 year old indian lady who was about six foot uh five foot four and was completely confused why this Australian in India decided to ride a bike and broke her ankle and brought, and brought the bike into the surgery because she wouldn't allow this precious bike to be left in the waiting room outside the surgery. But again, for all our listeners, they probably placed that situation somewhere in their visual mind, somewhere near to them rather than India. They didn't think it would be a woman and all these kinds of things most of us aren't conscious of our listening filters so when we get enraged we just have to be curious we just have to explore the possibility that in our 100 percent certainty that we are right there's a 99 percent chance that we're completely wrong and that takes courage that takes curiosity and that takes humility as well if you are listening to the episodes around air traffic controllers um, if you're listening to acoustic engineers, if you're listening to people who read body language, one of the most important things I'll tell you about is the role of environment when it comes to listening and how important it is that if you're in noisy environments, they're not necessarily listening optimized and that your choice of environment matters. But if there are three tips I'd give everybody, no matter what episode they listen to, switch off the devices drink water take three deep breaths that will double your listening productivity immediately i was quite humbled in 2008 for apple to give us an award for that podcast in australia out of the top 20 we were the only independent podcast okay. and my wife says that i spend way too much time on curating that baby of mine to 
help to get to a hundred million listeners in the world. No, I understand. Mm. You're it's 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 fascinating everything that you that you say and that you're doing, and I think it's useful for no matter what. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Why are you no, I, I'm learning a lot here. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I feel like we need like five more episodes. I know. Of this. I have so many questions. I know. I had so many other ones. Look, look before we well, before we wrap up, here's the last story. The last story is this. Um, listening with Mick, remember that story and nearly ca caused a divorce. Yeah. And um, I, I was heard on an interview by a lady who runs a non-denominational um, study group um, for, for first-time mums. And she heard me interviewed on a podcast and suggested to everybody, there was 12 people in her prayer group and suggested to everybody if they listened to this podcast prior to the next time they got together, uh, she would buy them all a cup of coffee. And, and they did. And what she sent me this email that still to this day put the hairs on my arms up and it's even happening. Now, while I'm telling the story, but she said to me via the person who interviewed me, who received this email, she says, sir, I don't know if you are a Christian or of any religion, but I asked people to listen to your podcast. And as a result, you have saved three marriages. You don't even know that. And you're on the other side of the world. Three people in our prayer group who are first time moms realized that it was them that wasn't listening to their husbands. And for the first time, they went and had some real conversations about the state of their marriage. I wish you well on your quest to 100 million listeners. There's definitely three marriages that will be in a different place because of your work. Mm. And, you know, for most of us, we do withdraw when we're men and we don't have the conversations that matter because we're trying to fix the women. And women are frustrated because men don't feel the same way women do cut them some slack they've never been brought up that way and those that have a rare individual so help them along on that journey as well i think you know we spend half of our day listening if all you did was spend another five minutes practicing those three things every day there'd be less conflict at home and uh, your kids would see some great listening role models and for adam and danielle i'm really grateful that you listened to me today well, thank oh, you. Grateful We're grateful. You yeah, fun. my goodness. So it's, it's fascinating. Will you come back on again sometime? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, why, don't, why don't we ask the listeners to send, send some questions in and let's see what we can do with them the next time. Well, thank you so much, Oscar. This has been great. I'm really grateful where to find you. I mean, we'll, we'll put all your links everywhere in the show notes and, but tell everybody where they can. Yeah, really simple. If you want to find out which one of the four villains of listening you are, whether you're the dramatic listener, the interrupting listener, the lost listener or the shrewd listener, we heard a little bit about the lost listener today, which was Adam and uh, his strategic technique to withdraw from the conversation. You can take a seven-minute quiz and discover which listening villain you are at listeningquiz.com, and it will give you a personalized action plan, what, three tips for you to implement to get you to be a better listener, despite whether you're shrewd, interrupting, lost, or uh, 
dramatic as a listener. So listeningquiz.com, that's the start and end place. That'll get you access to if you want to look at books or you want to look at podcasts or you want to look at jigsaw puzzles or you want to look at playing cards or whatever, the online course, it'll all start at listeningquiz.com. Thank you so much, Oscar. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.